keep calm, keep calm, keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Keep calm, keep calm, keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Yeah. Welcome along. It's episode 25. Where, can you believe it? Can you believe that we've actually reached episode 25 of this whole wheelbarrow of nonsense that we like to call Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. It is uh, wonderful once again to be with you. And the question I have to you today, should you irrigate a fertile mind or should you give it a drought? Should you keep it bone dry so the uh, fertile mind doesn't uh, grow and exponentially grow and cause all sorts of havoc and dirtiness and naughtiness? I think you need to irrigate a fertile mind. Anyway, that, that, that's the, uh, the, the, the snapshot of the day, the thumbnail sketch. One should irrigate a fertile mind. Um, so welcome along to the podcast. Uh, craziness this week, um, and, and I'll be giving you a little bit of a snapshot of uh, how the week's gone. 90 degrees on Monday here in Colorado, uh, and then... Uh, it was uh, dropped down to 30 degrees in snow on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, but I did do have a little bit of a recording. I, I felt like I was September Santa. And uh, I, I have a recording of, uh, of me um, being pulled by dog sled during the blizzard of, uh, of Tuesday. And, uh, and, and, and I perform the role of September Santa. We'll go more into that a little bit later on. Um, but also, how meaty is the Queen's Burger? Some of the things that we may or may not be talking about uh, during the uh, course of the show. Uh, Australian shearers pack it over the sheer size of their sheep. Why a closed mind could be a key to happy life. Uh, singing dog makes its voice heard again in New Guinea jungle. Elephant can catch horns from horns, yawns. <gasps> Ooh, something that you guys, you ladies and mantelpieces, probably do with the podcast. They can catch yawns from humans. Um, the best way to cook vegetables for hours, not minutes. And are we allowed to hug again? The new normal etiquette guide. And the jesters who spread joy are now apostles of confected rage. Um, also, the lovely, whimsical, all creatures great and small, the rebooted version is now on telly in the UK. I think it'll be on PBS at some point. A phenomenal uh, snapshot and hark back to a bygone age. Beautifully filmed. I know we had the original that was phenomenal with Robert Hardy and Christopher Timothy. But if you want something that is just good, wholesome, gorgeous viewing, all creatures great and small, certainly uh, watch that. So we've got our usual uh, little uh, digging and delving into um, some of our usual features, which is um, we have uh, arrows with uh, some skellywag dots. We have uh, also some uh, medieval tinder that we'll be playing uh, as well through the course of the podcast. Um, so a couple of our uh, regular features. We have a fireside ghost story. Um, we're sort of looking at Anne Boleyn again. There was a lovely little article in the uh, East Anglian, uh, Eastern Daily Press newspaper from a year or two where Anne Boleyn uh, raised her 
ugly head, well, or headless, I suppose, in this case. Um, so we have some more uh, fireside uh, butler tales as well. And if we can fit in some East Anglian pub games, we will do that too, ladies and gentlemen. But thank you very much for joining the podcast. Um, it's lovely to be here on a on a on a huge day. Um, and please listen to the short podcast that I uh, will be uh, putting out first a little bit later today. And uh, then uh, you can all dive into this nonsense. I mean, put the rubber ring of nonsense around you and just dive in and enjoy. Soak up, splash up the waters of nonsense and whimsy and eccentricity with the uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese rubber ring around your torso. So absolutely huge news. The Queen eats her burgers in a rather unusual way and it's quite posh. So one of the questions that many Royal fans wonder is what's on the Queen's menu at home? Be it Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, Balmoral or Sandringham. We know the monarch asked for a daily menu to be written in French. Did you know that the Majesty is actually fluent in the language? And she sticks to a rigid meal pattern of breakfast, lunch, afternoon, tea and dinner. The Queen is also not a huge fan of heavy carbs, preferring to stick to meat and fish and vegetables. Her former chef, Darren McGrady, has shared a fascinating snippet on how the mother of four eats a burger and you'll be amazed. Speaking to an insider, Darren said Her Majesty's Victorian upbringing dictates the only thing you'd pick up with your fingers is afternoon tea. She therefore does not eat fast food and does enjoy a burger now and again, though. Um, the uh, the chef explained how he would make burgers from the deer the royals would shoot at Balmoral, a love of venison burger, and he would then stuff the venison with other ingredients, including cranberries. However, the big difference between how we eat a burger and how the queen eats a burger is this. She ditches the bun. They would have burgers, but not the buns. So they would eat it with a knife and fork, he added. The monarch prefers a burger without a bun. Well, I think a lot of people prefer the burger without the bun, but that's a whole different story, darlings. Uh, well, that's a new one. The burger without the bun and not in one's hand. We're not sure how to follow the protocol unless we're dining with a majesty. So she loves the venison burger, sprinkle of cranberries. But how measly is the queen's burger? So uh, venison's very lean, so I imagine it's very delicious. But, you know, having a burger without one's bun... It's absolutely, absolutely disgraceful, I think. Um, and using a knife and fork. Now, I do, I have to admit, I do not like to mess my white butler gloves up. So I do use a knife and fork to, uh, to eat my burgers and my pizza. I know that is anathema to our American friends who are listening and probably anybody else around the world other than uh, the British. Look, I earned et- etiquette at school. I had a class on etiquette at school. So one must use the knife and fork correctly when eating and certainly don't mess up the white gloves so let me paint this picture to you ladies and mantelpieces you've got a sweaty Aussie in a little bit of a green vest or America's a wife beater sweaty tan muscular holding the uh, hind legs of a sheep whilst he shares it so Australian shearers pack it with the overshare size of sheep Australian sheep shearers have long been celebrated in verse and art as the hard man of the country's inland. Uh, but now they're fleeing because the animals are growing so big, they can't handle a big one. You know, The pursuit of a crossbreed with both a full fleece of wool can be sold for meat as created sheep almost double the weight that they were 35 years ago. 
As a result, battered shearers are deserting in droves. More than 4,000 wool, uh, wool handlers trained last year. Few have stayed in the job, according to the Australian Wool Innovation and the Assessi uh, Industry Board. When I started shearing in the late 80s, you had to be careful with the merino ewes so you didn't break the front legs when handling them, said Phil O'Rourke, a, vet, a veteran shearer. But now the average merino ewe is so heavy and strong that you can't even tip it up without bursting your guts. You know, I think they need a glass of Foster's and maybe a snag, which is the Auss Aussie for a, uh, for a sausage before doing it. They need some meat or maybe some shredded wheat. Maybe the, the third shredded wheat that Ian Botham used to eat. I think that's the trouble with the Aussies. They can't handle the third shredded wheat before, um, you know, before uh, they uh, start shearing the sheep. Start, start shearing the shegler sheep. Anyway, very disappointing on the on the behalf of the Aussie shearers. You know, I, I thought they were tougher men than us. So why a closed mind is key to a happy life? We like to think of ourselves as open-minded, but research suggests we're often not. And there's a good reason for it. Lovely article by James Marriott. There's a short story by Tessa Hadley called Cecilia's Awkward that gets to the heart of the problem. It's about a teenage girl, Cecilia, who goes on holiday to Florence with her intellectual left-wing art-loving parents. On the face of it, most open-minded people in the world. But nobody sees through the muddled, compromised lives of middle-aged people with a more caustic lack of pity than her teenage children. Over the course of the story, Cecilia comes to see how her parents, in jokes, their obsession with history and their fussiness aren't aspects of their superiority and separateness from the world, but aspects of a closed mind intended to defend them against life, against horror, confusion, lust and grief. The world that Cecilia mind is open to, a world carefully ignored by her fastidious parents, is one of sex and violence and inappropriate clothing and risk-taking. A character in Alan Bennett's play, The History Boys, said that reading a book sometimes feels as though some, someone has reached out a hand and taken yours. True. But if you can feel that somebody's reached out a hand and clonked you over the back of the head, one of the most important things in literature and art can do this and rebuke you, make you ask yourself, the frightening question, am I living properly? Is it hard to read Hadley's story without feeling aware of the insulation you've constructed against life? The fortuitous jokes, the rituals of coffee and tea, the heap of uh, comfortable opinions that you haven't inspected properly for years. If you go on like this, you, you risk loathing yourself. None of us can endure much of that. What Hadley hits hints at in the story that we close our minds so that we can live. Cecilia's sudden apprehension of freer, sexier, more dangerous world is thrilling, but also scary. Teenagers have an appetite for this. As we get older and more tired, we lose energy and time to leap upon every idea and every new experience. One day we suspect Cecilia will construct, like her parents and like me and everybody else, her own fragile raft of stupid remarks, comforting rituals and unexamined beliefs, unexamined beliefs to ferry her through the adulthood. Humankind, as T.S. Eliot said, cannot bear very much reality. Openness to experience is one of the big five traits that psychologists use to measure human personality, along with conscientiousness, agreeableness, neuroticism, and extroversion. It describes an inspiring-sounding cluster of associated qualities such as aesthetic sensitivity, intellectual curiosity, imagination, and preference for variety over sameness. As Hadley's story suggests, it's a trait that decreases with age, while other traits such as conscientiousness become more pronounced. 
The task that remains for us is the boring, painstaking battle to stay open in the world, to let as much life as we can bear. It's a fight worth having. The world is rich and exhilarating as it is frightening and painful. I prefer the psychologist's phrase openness to experience to the more commonly used open mindfulness, which sounds if you leave the door to your brain ajar, you see what wanders in. Recognizing that openness is painful and hard, and for some people against the grain of their characters, might help us look upon the baffling pig-headedness of our enemies and friends with more compassion. More importantly, it should help us remember that our opinions and habits aren't effortlessly superior and enlightened as we might believe. We are all closed-minded. Human beings can't exist otherwise. So as you know already, the butler really does have an obsession with uh, underwear, budgie smugglers, uh, brokinis, uh, mankinis, uh, banana hammocks. But there's a lovely article, Feast Your Eyes in the Male Bikini. It's called The Brokini. A new men's swimwear line is making waves. The Brokini's company has created what is considered the male version of the bikini and may cause warranted attention. I still love the Victorian bathing suit, I have to say. Two men in Toronto recently launched a new business selling one-shoulder bathing suits for men. Right now, they come in two styles, Fin Apple and Bromingo. <laughs> the suits are selling on the Brokini's website for about $40. The owners, Chad Chasco and Taylor Field, plan to start reaching out to the department stores. The company says more than 100 years have passed without any advancement in males' bathing suits until now. So, I mean, there's so much on show here. Um, one of the guys, both are, uh, you know, are pretty well ripped. Um, one is like a, a, a very um, minimal pink. Um, it's almost, almost like a Roman, uh, Roman garb um, that goes across the nipple, similar to what Barrett was wearing. Um, and then it covers the crown jewels and I think goes up the bottom like a thong at the end. Um, now, if you're a little bit more rotund, if you have a, a couple of uh, Michelin tires around your belly, um, or, you know, more manly man, you know, a bit more meat in there, a bit more meat and potatoes and meat pies, then I don't know if you could get away with it. And I think the hair and everything else could chafe against the nipple. I don't know. But I tell you what, it's a, it's a sight to behold. A slender piece of uh, material going over the shoulder, uh, slender on the backside, and then covering the, uh, the as your father and the uh, crown jewels uh, pretty sparingly. Doesn't leave much to the imagination, I have to say. So, ladies and gentlemen, Monsieur Mendem, the singing dog has made its voice heard again in New Guinea jungle. A rare ancient dog with a talent for harmonic Coral yodeling has been found in the New Guinea jungle. Scientists used DNA to confirm the existence of the New Guinea singing dog, a Highland West wild dog in Papua New Guinea, East Indonesia. It's previously known from a few hundred inbred specimens in zoos. The New, Highland, the New Guinea Highland wild dog was one of the most ancient candids, potentially our best example of a proto-canid truly a living fossil it may be the missing link species between the first early canids and modern domestic dogs it has short legs it sounds like my corgi here a broad head and a brown coat and eats tree kangaroos possums and rats i don't know if it nips into some aussies as well who knows um it's a remarkable gift is melodic howling which is compared to sounds made by the humpback whale i i wish my dogs i wish george jack and maggie did the melodic howling at the moment it really sounds like a couple of 
you know, trio of strangled cats, to be honest, more than anything else. And it's certainly not melodic. So news from our trunked friends. Elephants can catch yawns from humans. Elephants can catch yawns from a familiar humans, according to a new study that suggests they are similar to us than previously thought. Contagious yawning amongst animals is common. Chimps have been observed to pull off a yawn after a dominant male and even budgies can provoke each other's beaks to gape. Some research suggests the behavior is linked to a sense of empathy. Contagious yawning. I bet you Trump doesn't yawn then. Uh, contagious yawning in response to, is to by humans that only been observed in the male closest relative the chimpanzee and the best friend, the dog. The fact is that we've observed an elephant, an animal so distantly related to us, contagiously yawning with humans underscores how highly developed they are. It is a relationship that merits further investigation. So, I mean, does the trunk lift up like erect into the air and then the elephant yawns? Is that how it how it would work? And I'm, I've been wondering, do, do you still yawn when you have the face mask on? Is it the the motion of the, the the mouth and the muscles moving, or do you actually have to see the mouth to be able to yawn? But I'm wondering, you know, it's, it's something that we need to do next week, ladies and gentlemen. We need to put on the mask, yawn, and see if the other person yawns as well. Is it the eyes moving? Is it the face muscles? Can you still give a contagious yawn whilst wearing a face mask? Please answers on a postcard as soon as possible okay so as i said at the beginning the top of the show the top of the shop so this week we had a 90 degree day we had like 95 97 i think it's 103 last friday here in uh, colorado and then we dropped down to the depths we plummeted to an icy tundra of 30 degrees and snow on tuesday so coming up next is a little recording of um as i like to call myself the september santa um please try to guess what gifts i'm going to bring you kitty winks um but uh please yeah answers again on a postcard put the stamp on there please i'm not you know don't be a cheapskate and um anyway it, it, it was my dogs pulling a sled with me on very strong dogs to be able to pull me and um a little bit of a recording of, uh, of of that that going on so please uh hark hock your ears and listen oh my gosh it's bloody cold out here so i had to put on my long johns and uh and i've got my balaclava the tweed hat is uh, is on here and uh anyway so here we go um it is absolutely freezing out here it's brass monkeys out here scarf wrapped around got the balaclava got the long johns on we don't want any uh frozen brass monkeys if you know what i'm saying and I had to really persuade the dogs. I had to make some uh, Cumberland sausages this morning to get them to uh, to join me on a on a little uh, on a little expedition here. And I, I tell you, it was absolutely it, it wasn't easy trying to uh, to persuade the hounds to uh, to join me. But I, I loaded up the sled, and uh, and here we go. We've got Maggie at the front. George in the middle taking the strain across the blizzard. We've got a bit of mushing here. Yep, there we go. There we go. Mush, 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 mush. So we got a bit of mushing, and they're pulling me along here. And I was actually thinking that I, I do feel like September Santa. You know, there's a little bit of September Santa going on. And I did ask on Twitter earlier on, 
if there was a September Santa, what would September Santa bring? So, you know, let's uh, let's let's think about let's think about this here. So we got September Santa, and uh, what what would he uh, what would he bring? So I think you know to to warm up September Santa, the dogs are getting tired here. We need some sleigh bells. So we got we got the blizzard absolutely blowing into my eyes. It's going to call me snow blindness, I think. The dogs have a string of sausages around their neck. They're nibbling on to give them sustenance, and uh, we're off to uh, deliver some uh, September presents uh, to all you lucky folks. So September Santa, what would he bring? September Santa would bring pumpkin spice, the essence of pumpkin spice, candles, lattes, flavorings, pumpkin stews. I mean, I think we, I think everything, everything pumpkin spice. The insipid precursor to cinnamon at Christmas is pumpkin spice. So September Santa would give you enough pumpkin spice to last you through September, October into November. When do you stop with the pumpkin spice? So that's what I did. I loaded the sleigh full of pumpkin spice products and I delivered them all the lucky people around here in Colorado. Um, so we're, we're full to the brim, full to the rasters of pumpkin spice. I have some snow blindness. I have frostbite in places I didn't think I could get frostbite. But everybody now has the pumpkin spice. Hang on, let on. All right, so we're back inside now, warming up the cockles, warming the chestnuts on an open fire, uh, giving the dogs a little bit more, uh, I think a charcuterie plate's in order after freezing their little toes off there. Um, but I think it's now, you know, a perfect time to, uh, to have a fireside ghost story. Just imagine the mist swirling, maybe the beginnings of the snow as the fire crackles in the background. And we have the return of Anne Boleyn. Did Anne Boleyn make a ghostly appearance at Blickling? A photograph taken at Blickling Hall on the anniversary of Anne Boleyn's death appears to show some ghostly goings on. Henry VIII's ill-fated queen is said to return to Blickling, her childhood home and possibly birthplace at midnight, May the 19th, on the anniversary of her execution. Legend has it that a headless ghost arrives at Blickling in a carriage driven by an equally headless coachman, but she hasn't lost her head completely. In the afterlife, she carries it along with her during her hauntings. It is said she roams the halls, corridors until daybreak when she disappears. A photograph taken by King photographer Tracy Morris in North Walsham in the early hours, just after midnight, appears to have some paranormal activity. The National Trust, who owns Blickling Hall, arrange events to mark the fateful anniversary each year. This year, the Diggers Costumes Reenactment Group were at the hall and visitors were also allowed to stand the grounds into the night to see if they could spot the famous royal. Miss Morris, who is at the hall with her daughter and partner, visits the hall often and is fascinated by Anne Boleyn's legend. On the night she took the 40 pictures on her Nikon camera, only one came out showing the white lines and was taken at 12.18am. She said, I've shown the picture to several people, including those at Blickling, 
and they reckon it does show some kind of paranormal activity. The return of Anne Boleyn, headless with a horseman headless too. I think I need a cup of tea, maybe a scotch after that. Hello there, love. Bit of scallywig darts, yeah. Alright, here we go. Most heinous crimes of the week, headline crimes of the week. And we decide if they're going to be a missing the board, triple 20, bullseye and choppy special prize. Okay, so here we go. Uh, goat hops over into police car, eats paperwork and knocks over the officer. Yeah, I think that one's missing the board. I mean, goats will eat almost anything. Um, they probably even eat the works of Ann Coulter. They're probably very digestible indeed. Um, and then uh, and then we have uh, Chef shares trick to make BLT sandwich taste better, but some says it's blasphemy. Um, I mean, I think the secret. This is the bullseye. Uh, this is the bullseye for the week here. So I think, you know. This is our bully. This is our bullseye. The secret to make the perfect BLT is this. The secret should be bacon on bacon on bacon on bacon. I think a menage a trois of bacon. The British bacon, the crispy little 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 tiddlers there. Uh, the American bacon. Um, well, the British bacon is more meaty. The American's crispier. That's right. And then the Canadian bacon looks more like ham. That is truly the mighty triumvirate. And then we have, uh, I think, all right. So that's our triple twenty. And then we have our uh, we have our bullseye, our bully now. Man beats his own record. Oh, we got to like a little announcement. Let's that bully back on here. Man beats his own record after sitting in a tub of ice for over two hours. So, apparently, the guy had taken uh, two Viagra and a shot of horny goat weed. So, he had to ice that baby off for many, 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 many an hour. And that's our, uh, that's our bully of the week, that. And I can't really decide. Um, I can't decide this week. we got... We've probably got two stories that are probably Chappie's special prize. Um, I think the first one here is painting cow painting cows bums with eyes can save their lives. That's one. Uh, I mean, in this, I mean, in this case, when you when you you're painting the cow's eyes, um, you know, if they were actually grazing above on a hillock. It would make it make it very sort of interesting seeing the eyes appear from the hills and the rolling hills above, um, it, and it also it would ultimately make a very interesting rump steak if you had eyes looking at you uh, from from the meat and beyond all the chips and uh, ketchup and HP sauce. If you had like cow's eyes looking at you from the from the rump steak, so that's that's our possible. Um, I would say that's our possible turkey special prize. But this may be it as well. Um, teenager rushed to hospital after snake bites his penis while he is on the toilet. Um, so I'm wondering if he had somebody ultimately to suck out the venom um, or provide some sort of anti-venom. You know, one thing's for sure. You should always double bag the old boy before going to the toilet or anything else, matter of thinking. All right, so we've got a couple of cooking tips this week. Um, so... 
we've got the um, Duke and Duchess of uh, of Cornwall, uh, perfect Cornish pasty recipe, and there's a a very interesting special ingredient. But Gordon Ramsay shares secrets to cooking pasta, perfect pasta, every time. Um, Ramsay has taken the things back to basic with a new series of sharing 100 essential cooking tips we all need to know in the kitchen. Pasta is very popular across the world. Many many opt for the method simply tasting it at irregular intervals to see when it's ready to eat. But the celebrity chef has now shared his guide on how to perfect the perfect al dente pasta every time. No need for guesswork. Pasta, a great budget uh, budget basic to keep in the cupboard, says Gordon. It can be easily undercooked or overcooked. Here's how to do it properly. He begins to add the water into a large pan to ensure the pasta's got sufficient room to cook evenly before seasoning the water with a large pinch of salt and adding a generous pour of oil to stop it sticking together. You should wait until the water is at a rolling boil where the water is fast moving, which is gently rolls the pasta around in the pan. If you're no longer uh, pasta using, if you're using longer pasta such as spaghetti, place one end in the pan first, allowing it to soften before gently twisting it to submerge the rest. That is the key. Set a timer and pull out a single strand to test if it's ready when the time's up. You can actually feel it with your fingers. It's still nice and firm. Gordon, what are you feeling that's nice and firm? Dear boy. Al dente. Not a bite, not a strong bite, but just really nice and firm. Nice and firm, ladies and gentlemen. Definitely not crunchy. Okay, here we go with a little game of medieval tender. Is the axe swinging to right or the left? Is there any love or love potion? Love letters being involved here. Um, we've got one contestant this week, but we're running out of time, ladies and gentlemen. And it's Zengti of China. Zengti of China. The Ming Dynasty's strangest emperor, Zhao Hoxhao, aka the Zengti Emperor, took the throne of China at the age of 14. Not long after becoming emperor, Zengti became drunk with power. He neglected his duties as a ruler and instead chose to spend his time drinking and visiting brothels, which he filled with women of his choosing. He built lavish palaces to store exotic animals like tigers and leopards, and he would often have them turned loose so he could hunt them down for his own amusement. Even weirder, Zengti would have his servants go to great lengths to dress up the inside of the palace like a city block. He would then command all the court employers, employees to pretend to be vendors and pass by so he could stroll down the street and pretend to be an everyday person. This kind of childish behavior made Zengti notorious within the court, and some historians have credited him with the start of a trend of dissipation and indolence amongst emperors that would uh, ultimately lead to the fall of the Ming Dynasty. Zengti, though, did die rather comically in 1521. As a result of infections, he contracted one falling from into a canal while drunk. But his strangest exploit took place a few years before his death in 1518, when the emperor suddenly decided that he would like to be in the military and declared himself a general. He personally led an expedition to Zhengxi province to order to catch a prince who had revolted against his authority, only to find that the man had already been rounded up. Angrily, um, having to, his chance to play soldier ruin, Zhengxi ordered the man released just so he could experience the thrill of hunting him down and capturing him himself. So, so he, felt, he fell into a canal, uh, he fell into a canal whilst drunk. Uh, that, was his, that was his ultimate faint, fate. That was Zengti's ultimate faint. So 
this week, this this week, we don't have. Um, let's have a look here. All right, so here we've got. So, yeah, he fell into the he fell into the river, very very drunk here. Uh, yeah, it certainly wasn't. Whoop, but yeah, a little bit of a pig too. Certainly a little bit of a pig grunting going on there. But I think this was. I think I think this was his fate. So he fell into the river whilst having a too many couple of too many jars. And there he is. That's him. That's him falling into the river and banging his head on the side. Ladies and gentlemen, that was our little game of medieval Tinder. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to the uh, podcast. 25th edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. The 24th edition was a, a little uh, memoriam to September 11th. Uh, and obviously the, the tragedy uh, that was faced uh, this day 19 years ago. Uh, let's finish with a poem by William Wordsworth. September 1819. Departing summer half assumed an aspect tenderly illumined the gentlest look of spring that calls from yonder lethe shade unfaded yet prepared to fade a timely caroling no faint and hesitating trill such tribute as to the winter chill the lonely redbreast pays clear loud and lively as the din from social warblers gathering in their harvest of sweet lays nor doth Example failed to cheer me, conscious that my leaf is sere and yellow on the bough. Fall, rosy garlands from my head, ye myrtle wreaths, your fragrance shed around a younger brow. Yet I will temperately rejoice, wide is the range and free the choice of undiscordant themes, which happily kindred souls may prize, not less than vernal ecstasies and passions, feverish dreams. For deathless powers to verse belong, and they, like demigods, are strong, on whom the muses smile, and some that function have disclaimed, best pleased with what is appellous framed, to invertent and defile. Not such the initiatory strains committed to the silent pains in Britain's earliest dawn. Trembles the groves, the stars grew pale, while all daringly the veil of nature was withdrawn. Nor such the spirit stirring note when the life chords Achilles smote, inflamed by sense of wrong. Woe, woe to tyrants from the lyre, broke threateningly in sparkles dire, fierce, vindictive songs. But not unhallowed was the page by winged love inscribed to assuage the pangs of vain pursuit. Love listening while the lesbian maid with finest touch of passion swayed her own lute. O ye who patiently explore the wreck of Herclinian lore, whose rapture could ye seize through Phoebean fragment or unroll one precious tender-hearted scroll of pure Simonides. That were indeed a genuine birth of poesy, a bursting forth of genius from the dust, what Horace glorified to behold, what morrow love shall we unfold, can haughty time be just. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Have a lovely weekend. Uh, it's getting hot out here again, and I think in many other places as well. Um, my heart goes out to the poor people suffering in Colorado and California with the wood fires at the moment. 
uh, absolutely awful. But thank you for listening to the podcast today. Hopefully it gives you a little bit of respite in a troublesome world, a little portal of whimsy that we like to uh, explore and dive into every week. Thank you and have a lovely week.